welcome to Tech Law Talks. I am Anthony Diana, a member of Reed Smith's Tech and Data Group. In each episode of this podcast, we will discuss cutting-edge issues on technology, data, and the law. We will provide practical observations on a wide variety of technology and data topics to give you quick and actionable tips to address the issues you are dealing with every day. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tech Law Talks. I'm Sarah Bruno. I'm a partner with Reed Smith here in San Francisco, and I'm pleased to have with me today uh, my colleague, Jason Gordon, who is a partner in Reed Smith's Chicago office. And one of the reasons Jason and I wanted to join today for this Tech Law Talk is because I know Jason is doing a lot of really interesting work with respect to NFTs. And Jason and I are, are almost constantly working on matters together, together and collaborating. And I wanted to um, take this opportunity to talk to Jason a little bit about NFTs. And I think we'll start with the basic question that I'm getting a lot of from a lot of the clients that I'm working with, which is, what is an NFT, Jason? Well, thanks for having me back, Sarah. I appreciate it. An NFT or a non-fungible token is simply a piece of code. And that code, when applied to a smart contract, will tell the world, and I use the world loosely, uh, but the individuals who are interested, it will tell them who owns a piece of digital content, so it'll show provenance, and it'll also also show authenticity. Uh, So I would draw analogies in the offline world to um, if I were to have a uh, Mickey Mantle baseball, or a Michael Jordan rookie card. I might go to a company, an authenticator like PSA, for example, to authenticate the autograph or authenticate the baseball card as genuine and grade it, and or basketball card in the case of the Michael Jordan rookie card. And in both of those cases, you would have then a certificate of authenticity. That is one of the goals of an NFT. The other would be to show provenance. So let's say we're talking about in the art world that I purchase a, an Andy Warhol print of the soup cans. So that might be in a series of 100, and there might be provenance where I own it now, but you owned it, Sarah, before me. And so the way we would tell is you owned it for a period of time and then I owned it. And that's a lot of what the NFT does for our purposes today. That's interesting. And I know that where this has come up in particular, for me, the clients that I've had that are asking me about this, and that I I know I'm talking to you with my questions is in the for one, I have a client that actually has artists on board that are creating art and selling art via a digital platform, and they're contemplating using NFTs in that aspect. And I I guess the first question they had, because they're artists and they're working on behalf of artists, so they want to understand one, the legal issues that are involved in in setting this up. And this was their first question. And I guess if you had, you know, when I pass that scenario to you, you know, what's the first thing that they should think about in that scenario? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think the art world is where we've seen it make headlines with people selling Uh, the NFT at either Christie's or Sotheby's for $69 million. So we're we're talking about real money there. And and certainly I believe that is a lane for artists to sell their work. When I think about the sale of an NFT and what the 
creators of an NFT are going to be thinking about. They're going to want to be thinking about intellectual property issues, intellectual property adjacent issues, and potentially, depending on the quantity of NFTs sold and where the money is going, potentially privacy and or charity issues, charitable legal issues. But the first thing that I think is so important for everybody to think about is copyright. When someone buys an NFT, they're buying the digital content, but they are not necessarily buying the copyright. No differently than simply because I spend $1.99 at iTunes to buy a Lady Gaga song, that doesn't mean that I own the copyright in the song. I enjoy Lady Gaga's poker face and I, you know, spent $1.99 for it, but that doesn't mean that I can go exploit the copyright. That is not a transfer simply by purchasing the NFT. By operation of law, the author, the copyright owner, would retain copyright in their work. So the question would become, are they going to transfer it by the sale? And if they do, then it would need to be either embedded in the smart contract or otherwise communicated between the buyer and the seller. The same is true if you're going to buy an Andy Warhol multiple. You might buy the soup cans, but you don't get to then tr create the uh, turn the soup cans into a t-shirt or a hat. That right is retained by the Andy Warhol Foundation. So the same sort of rules apply, and it, I think, quickly gets confused because it's this new technology. But the old copyright law would apply there. That makes sense. Um, and I would imagine you mentioned, you know, you're mentioning Warhol. And I'm thinking in particular of new art. So something that are, and are um, artists creating NFTs out of new art, um, in which case they have this opportunity to either create uh, an arrangement where they're possibly giving the right to others to put that piece of work on a t-shirt in order to make more money because they're new artists and they want to generate those funds. Or is there some limitation there? Um, I mean, is it, is it up to the artist and are you seeing that? I guess is the question. Yeah, it's entirely up to the artist because they're the they they have the right to create the artwork and exploit the artwork as at least in the United States by operation of law by their sort of bundle of rights in copyright law including the right to create derivative works uh and create uh copies and sell those copies. I guess the question is, is that going to limit the strength of the NFT if they give that right? That's, you know, that's a great question. I think that where we're seeing, what, the real question for the artist is what do they want to do? If they want to sell a one of one, that is going to go for a lot more money than one of 1,000. And if they transfer the copyright, they will be able to capture arguably more money than if they are not. But it's really going to turn on what the market's going to bear. And because the market's in its infancy, we're certainly seeing sales of NFTs creating a lot of revenue in the primary market. It is an unknown at this point on whether or not the secondary market will yield appreciation or not. That's helpful. I think where we're seeing this the most, and I know this is in your practice, is in the entertainment sector. And you've mentioned some deals that you've been seeing. Um, I don't know if you can speak to any of that in this forum, but it, would, it may be helpful for the audience to hear you know, what you're working on in the entertainment space. Yeah. 
I think that there's sort of two lanes we're seeing NFTs immediately come to market. The first being that there are um, brands that are interested in partnering with an artist or they have original content of their own. And those brands are looking to sell the NFT for, for philanthropic purposes to raise money for charity. And the rules around that would be the same sorts of rules. Identifying who owns the copyright. If there are individuals appearing in that content, do we need to evaluate it from a trademark or right of publicity perspective? And then how's it going to be sold and where's the money going? The other lane I'm seeing it is in the memorabilia space. A lot of sports teams and leagues are getting involved in the sale of certain memorabilia as well as uh, players. Um, by way of example, um, my Iowa Hawkeyes have a basketball player, uh, Luca Garza, who sold his own NFT as soon as he uh, completed his senior year season at Iowa. And I think as we look towards that, Patrick Mahomes has created the Museum of Mahomes. Um, you've got Gronkowski creating his own NFTs. So you have a lot of athletes getting involved in it. Um, and, and that's an area to sort of generate revenue, think through the uh, charitable issues, and really provide them with an opportunity in many cases to give back to their communities in a new and creative way. Yeah. So another big component of this, I know, is the right of publicity issue that you have. One with you know celebrities that are currently creating NFTs, as you mentioned, and then also I know in the post mortem part of this as well, in that you have estates that are looking to see and develop NFTs for deceased celebrities. And I know in my practice, I've worked with the with Albert Einstein's estate um, with respect to those postmortem rights. And I know that that is a very tricky issue in the United States in particular, because it's run by the states and governed by the states, and that the state laws differ on this. And so I don't know, Jason, I mean, we don't have to get in the weeds on this very much. But this is certainly an issue that I know that you and a state would want to work with an attorney to come up with the provisions because postmortem rights could be expiring. And then if you're going to invest in an NFT, uh, you could lose those rights um, based on the expiration in the state that your estate is in for that deceased celebrity. I, I think that's a great point, is that the right of publicity is, is applicable there too. And so for live celebrities, the applicable law is going to be where the celebrity is domiciled. For dead celebrities, it's going to be where they were domiciled at the time of their death, which, you know, Sarah, as we've both gone through and investigating, can be very tricky for many celebrities who have multiple residences and multiple homes, and they're multimillionaires. So is it their, you know... Vail House and Colorado law applies? Is it their Pacific Palisades house and California law applies? Or their, their condo in New York and New York law applies? That's it's a real question uh, that we need to get to the bottom of to evaluate which law applies. And that is something that, that is tricky in particular when folks are trying to monetize and, and basically sell an NFT. I would imagine that would impact the value of the NFT, though, which is why I sort of went down that path. As when you were mentioning the celebrities, I was thinking 
I would imagine an F- NFT for a deceased celebrity that still is in a in a window where they have those rights as an estate could be more valuable p- potentially. I don't know because there's the person is no longer with us, and I would imagine that would increase the value because there's going to be no duplication of that image in some form in two years from now. I agree, although I will say that even if images are duplicated, the cachet with having an NFT is having the first. A good example might be, while we can all see Jack Dorsey's first tweet, the sale of his first tweet was something that, in in the form of an NFT, had particular value. The same was true with uh, a dunk by LeBron James. So, I, I you know, from a, from a personal level, I I don't have a good grasp on the intrinsic value of NFTs or their ability to be sold on a secondary market, given that, to your point, they can be duplicated. But I guess the way I'd analogize it is that there is inherently more value to a an Andy Warhol multiple of the Campbell soup can versus an $8 poster that you can get online at Amazon. That's great. Um, and I guess with respect to the number of NFTs, the deals that you're seeing, are, are companies trading thousands of these or is it more singular in nature? I think for the individual artists, they're, they're more bespoke, one of a kind. But in particular with leagues and teams, they're exploring that hybrid model where they might sell one of a kind NFTs, but they might also sell a series of 10 or 100 or 1,000 uh, yesterday, uh, CNBC reported that they are going to sell an NFT where their former reporter Mark Haynes was calling the market bottom in 2008, uh, and the proceeds of that will go to Autism Speaks. But then in conjunction with that, CNBC will also be selling a series of related NFTs that will have a fixed fee. So I think it really depends, but we're seeing a lot of the athletes and um, and advertisers and brands sell one-off NFTs. But there's no legal issues with selling multiple NFTs. The question is going to become disclosure and ensuring that the NFTs are adequately disclosed in whether it being one of 100, one of 1,000, or one of one. And similarly, once that representation is made, that's it. The brand, the advertiser, the athlete, or team or league cannot turn around and sell additional ones later of the exact same item. So one of the things, Sarah, I'm seeing a lot of is questions related to the privacy issues surrounding NFTs because a lot of these U.S. brands or U.S. teams are interested in selling NFTs to a global audience. What are the privacy considerations uh, surrounding the sale of NFTs? Yeah, and that's, um, I know this is something we've talked about with some of the deals that you're working on. And certainly the the biggest issues we're looking at it are, are typical to what you're seeing in other spaces, which is understanding what data is going to be transferring from where the jurisdictions that are involved. And then, of course, looking to make sure that that data can flow. I know a lot of the transactions you're working on are data coming from Europe. And so we're having to consider, one, whether that data can come into the United States or leave Europe as a result of the GDPR. 
And then we're also um, on the other other hand, I know you're working with some U.S. deals and we're just thinking about um, whether there's any CCPA compliance issues that we have to deal with. We're also looking at what the FTC is doing in this space with respect to data, just because we want to make sure that um, we have the appropriate notice and consent just from the U.S. standpoint um, to have the data go to the places it needs to go in order to facilitate the transaction. So it's very similar to what we're dealing with in other industries, but it's another component. And I think what complicates this in particular is obviously the nature of the, um, the exchange here, but then also the fact that we're also often dealing with what smart contracts, right? And so the fact that we have smart contracts here, we have to think through what provisions we have to consider, um, what we can change and advising clients with respect to that. And that is, I think, one of the most complicated parts of this is is considering those smart contracts. Well, I think that that wraps us up here. It's been great to talk to you, Jason, and I look forward to, I'm sure we'll have a call on this in the next couple of days, but I look forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Tech Law Talks is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Allie McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's tech and data practice, please email techlawtalks at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.